The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Bob Gold, who's the Chief Clinical Behavioral Technologist and founder of GoMo Health. Bob is one of the world's leading behavioral technologists with more than 20 years applied research and development in the behavioral and cognitive science of human motivation, activation, and resiliency. With a specialty in the design of clinical care plans and digital therapeutics that integrate psychosocial factors and determinants into physical care plans for chronic and complex population health management. Bob focuses his energy on recrafting clinical care plans and medication therapies into behaviorally based remote care coordination, transitions of care, and rehabilitation slash recovery digital therapy programs to achieve a sustainable population health business model for health systems, health plans, pharmaceutical companies, and governments reducing adverse events such as unnecessary emergency department visits and readmissions, collecting valuable information uh, regarding reported outcomes, and taking advantage of opportunities for value-based and remote patient monitoring reimbursement associated with the implementation of these programs. Bob's evidence-based methods provide an individualized, disciplined, and nurturing experience within the framework of a person's lifestyle and typical day while improving satisfaction and adherence, especially for complex and chronic conditions that include comorbidities and difficult-to-navigate patient health journeys. Bob's Behavioral Rx and Concierge Care System has also shown to bring back joy in practice for doctors and nurses, enabling them to spend more time on high-impact clinical work. Bob, thank you so much for joining today. Oh, you're welcome, Sharon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Bob, you work in such a fascinating space, right? This whole sphere of human motivation, um, you know, which is, you know, just, there's so many facets to it. Um, And, you know, you do such great work in, you know, helping us understand that to improve, um, you know, the clinical care that we receive. I want to start by, you know, kind of asking you about, you know, what are ways maybe patients can engage doctors? Like, what are ways to behaviorally motivate to get the most out of their health care? Right. Oh, thanks. That's a good question. So what I find is the most helpful for patients is to do the following. One is when you're being explained what your condition is or what to do, you know, take a deep breath and make sure you either write it down or, and almost make it like a bullet list of, okay, these are five things that you may need to do that may impact the lifestyle change, changing a habit, all those things, staying on a therapy, and they're not easy, right? They're not easy to do. So what I would do is look at each one and ask yourself, do you believe you can accomplish those tasks? Because what a lot of patients do, they'll, yes, the doctor Okay, I understand. And they'll say, I understand. So it's not a question of you understanding the, what to do. Do you believe you can do it? So that involves, 
do you have your own self-trust? You'll not put yourself in harm's way or your own self-confident uh, credibility that you will further your cause. Because if you don't believe you could do something in life, you just don't do it, right? So, so you should go down that list and say, okay, of the five things that I need to do to help myself, I think I could do these three. I don't think I could do these two, right? And then have that discussion with your doctor, because for example, or nurse or other healthcare professional, because what happens is they may have alternative programs or something to tell you to do instead. And that may not be as optimal as something, but if you're not going to do it and they know you're not going to do it, they may suggest something else. And that's something else you feel more confidence like you could do. So it's better to do things than not do them, even though they may not be the top choice and you know what to do. And um, so I would say, try to have as honest a relationship with yourself first, and then share that information with your healthcare professional to come up with a plan that you believe you have a chance at accomplishing, as opposed to trying for a month and giving up. You know, Bob, I'm going to repeat this phrase that you just said, because I think it's so powerful. Have an honest relationship with yourself first, right? And I think yes. so hard to do, right? Because I think in some ways we always try and please, and let's say if you're a patient, you're trying to please your doctor saying, yes, I will do this even if it's not necessarily realistic um, based on your likes, your preferences, your beliefs, et cetera. Um, I want to really go back and break down the steps because you gave me so much information. It's just fabulous. So to take the five things when a person gets a diagnosis, first of all, should a patient bring pen and paper? Like should they be writing things out um, instead of trying to store it on their head? Yes. Yeah, so it's a two-way street. So they writing it down is good because whenever you use multiple senses, you have more of a chance of cognitively moving that information from short to long-term memory and recalling it. So writing it down, repeating it, not just listening to it is good. And then what we do, GOMO, and what we do is we provide healthcare professionals with um, technology that enables them to message you when you leave the office with those things and stay with you so you're not expected to remember them. So, you know, you can ask if there's any available technology that can come with the suggestions to help you. But in lieu of that, and maybe even if you have that, writing them down is a good idea, putting them up on your refrigerator, whatever that may be, talking about them with your family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, and I, I think that is really valuable because I think, you know, office visits are, are typically fast paced and sometimes, uh, you, you know, person, it's so easy to walk out and maybe remember part, but not all of that conversation. Yeah, and here's a, a kind of a way to look at this. So healthcare, the way you as a patient or consumer of healthcare absorb it, or even healthcare professionals, it should be more like 
how you learn a musical instrument, a sport or a language. So if you think about it, if you were taught to play an instrument or a language, if you don't practice that, imagine being taught to play a sport where you sit with an expert and they tell you how to play tennis, but they never play with you. They never watch you play. You know, and then you come back three months later. How do you do? Oh, I did good. Okay, gr oh, great. Keep it up. Right. So you you would laugh at that if that were a language, a sport or an instrument. But that's how healthcare needs to be delivered. So from your perspective as the consumer of healthcare, I would suggest you treat it like that. So it's all about practice. So how you go about that motivating yourself is to give yourself look at that list of things, take one activity against that list, accomplish it. Just like if you're learning a piano, play a simple song, right? Like feel good about it. Then reward yourself. Hey, I did it, right? And then reflect on it, okay? And then do another task, right? So if you view your healthcare journey like learning a sport, an instrument, or a um, language, and you practice it, you, and then you can recall it when you need it. So when you get frustrated, oh, I did that activity two months ago, I could do it again now, right? So you reflect on it. So you do an activity, you practice, you reward yourself, you reflect, right? And, and when you do those things, you have more of a chance of them being stored in a permanent place in your brain and then recalling them when you need them the most. So just take that metaphor when you think about your health journey. I think that is such a great metaphor. I love how, you know, we almost don't know if we're speaking the same language. If we're talking about tennis, maybe a person is throwing a serve, but their form is not so good. And we never get to observe that just as a person, you know, thinks their diet is pretty good. And what one person may interpret that to be maybe different than another. And we're like, okay, yay, you follow a good diet next. Um, and, and so that practice um, and why having people watch you practice. So if it can't be necessarily always done entirely in a physician's office, who's watching you practice to make sure you're serving the ball correctly? Right. So the, the first thing is, that's a great question, right? But so the first thing is, is um, just the fact that you're consciously saying, I need to practice and do something is a step forward, right? You know, then what you could do is depending on who you live with or your friends or your family, you know, you could engage others and say, okay, this is where I started you know, so let me practice with you. Like, let's say I want to cook healthier, right? So maybe I pick someone who I think is a good cook, that's a friend, and maybe we do some things together, right? So, um, so it's a matter of sharing that. And maybe then the next time you come back to a healthcare professional, you say what you've done, and you let them in on some of those things, and then they could add value to that if they understand that. So, um, because a lot of this is taking responsibility and feeling if you are getting better at that, you know, than someone correcting your score all the time. But the more you could involve others and your healthcare professional, 
the better they can nurture your pathway to get better, right? Right. And, and this is also tying into, you know, your comment about first being honest with yourself. And then, you know, knowing that it's okay to say, look, I'm, yoga isn't for me, whatever the case may be. Are there other things I could do? Um, and having that honest discussion so you don't walk away saying, well, I can't do that. And that really then is not a productive use of time for anybody. Exactly. And, you know, here's a phrase I use a lot is you don't need to be amazing to start, but you need to start to be amazing. So don't feel like if there are some changes you need to make to improve your health, right? Whether they be physical or mental or what you eat or what you exercise or what you do, don't be frustrated. Like I said, it's not about reading everything about your disease and understanding that. That's not what's motivational. What's motivational is to do one thing and just do it. And even if you're not good at it the first time, then try to, you know, get better at it. So it's sort of like, again, learning a sport or language, you know, if you learn a language, if I'm going to learn French, I'm not going to be great. The first sentence, I'm not going to understand it all, but if I keep on practicing and I get a little better, so that's, you, you, you got to view it like that. And um, just one other interesting correlated point, which, um, you know, I've been working on the science of human resiliency for over 25 years. And here's a fascinating piece of data for folks. The number one trigger for people to listen or learn or try things that either inhibits it or moves it forward is Outlook. So if you understand Outlook by far, so for example, if there are two people, let's say yourself and a friend, and you both have diabetes and maybe you're a little overweight and anxiety, whatever you believe you have, and I ask you on a scale of one to 10, what's your outlook over the next three years? Not health, not work, just, and for example, if Bob, if Sharon says a nine, you know, 10 is good. Like I have these issues, but I'm going to get through them. And Bob says a two, you know, I don't, I view myself, I'm a loser. I can't hold a job. I don't have good relationships you have to understand that outlook and then work with yourself to take these kind of mini steps and think about that outlook. And there are certain techniques not to ruminate on the negative, but train yourself on the positive that could change that outlook. Because the more you have an outlook that you believe in yourself, the more likely you are to do the things to make the changes to be healthier, period, right? So, and it's interesting if the, if the healthcare professionals could understand someone's outlook, they may not recommend the same therapy, even though clinically it looks like you have the same condition. So I just wanted to make that little side note, just reflecting on your own perspective of your future is important. Yeah, and Bob, that really, um... I guess shouldn't even be a side note. It should be the, the key message, right? Um, for people who are 
maybe, you know, so in any individual, it's hard to gauge where your outlook is, right? So maybe you as an expert who's been doing this for decades can say, oh, this level of self-talk is a nine and this level is a five, but someone who's a five may think they're a nine. How do you self-assess where you are in outlook and whether you're self-sabotaging? Yeah, no, to your point, um, it's not necessarily an exact science, but here's the method, okay, that I found works really well. First of all, you need to ask yourself, or it would be ideal if your healthcare professional even asked you at your visit and they recorded it. And whether it's on a scale of one to five or one to 10. So, okay, Bob, we're giving you this stuff. You know, what's your outlook? And then what we talked about before, on a scale of one to 10, do you believe you could accomplish this? Right? Those are two interesting correlated questions. But typically you're not asked that, but you should ask yourself that. Because wouldn't it be interesting right there in front of the clinician if they say to you, if you say, oh, yeah, doc, I understand this. And then all of a sudden they ask you, but do you think you could accomplish it? And you say, no, I get it, but I don't think I could accomplish it. But you're not asked that, but you should ask yourself that. And that's what we talked about earlier. So those are two correlated questions, outlook and what you think you could accomplish. Believe me, there's a high correlation between those two factors. So the most important thing is that just like we talked about practice learning a sport, how well you think you're doing, regardless of theoretically how well you're doing compared to standards, right? So if you ask yourself that every few months, okay, what's my outlook? Do I believe I could accomplish these tasks? Okay, and you write that down and you do these little, what I call these little things every day to practice and get better you will find your scores increasing. You will feel better about yourself. You know, if, if you have that mindset of how do you practice in your lived environment? How do you take five, 10 minutes to do these little things that, that will get you there? And don't worry about the time frame. If it takes you longer, shorter, you know, and then you keep on asking yourself those questions. Right. Or maybe you could tell others, your friends or family, how you rate yourself and then tell them again. Right. I think those are some good ideas. And then if you could have that relationship with your physician, that's great as well. So you can sort of see a trend line. You know, it's fascinating when you measure those things. Like a lot of times we'll measure people's self-confidence. We'll ask them at the beginning and at these intervals. It's fascinating the correlation of someone's perspective of pain. So we've had programs where after three months, the pain level really didn't change, but they rated themselves as their pain is not impacting their life. Whereas three months earlier, they rated their pain as significantly impacting their life. Same pain, right? Because they, we went through a, a process where they believed that we helped their outlook, that we, they believed they were doing things they felt better about the future. So the, their focus caused them to not believe the same pain impacted their life at the same rate. Fascinating, you know? Yeah. So those are little things. 
that is really fascinating. I think, you know, most people focus on today as opposed to the outlook of the future, um, you know, especially around health goals. Right. Um, that is really great. So how important is it for patients to make goals with their physicians? Yes. Yeah, so look from a, the science of motivation and persuasion and all those things, it's very important, right? So, but the goals, here's the thing. A lot of times these goals are the wrong goals. So in other words, if I just use diabetes, the goal is not lowering your A1C. So like in our programs, when we capture a goal, it's like, what would you like to do if you got healthier? Okay, I want to go, I want to take my grandchild boating. I want to be able to run a half marathon. I, I want to travel and not be in pain. That's the goal, right? So you need to establish a goal that is reflective of what someone wants to do and lowering an A1C or losing weight or something is the tactic to get them there, right? So are we getting you closer to your goal? Like, because that's what's motivating the person wanting to do that, right? I want to be alive to see my daughter married, right? Whatever it is. And I'm worried about that, right? That's the goal, not your physiology, right? That's the goal. Okay, well, here's how we're going to help you achieve being at your daughter's wedding. Okay, look at you. We're going to work on your blood pressure. We're going to do whatever it is. Those are the tactics of the goal. So yeah, I think the goals are important, but defining goals that are meaning something to you in your life, not your healthcare is, is the key. Yeah. Now that that's really, I think, valuable to be able to kind of see the forest, if you will. Um, yeah. Well, that's what's going to make people stay on it. Yeah. Okay. Hey, now my daughter got engaged, married in two years. Okay. I could do this. Not, okay. You know, I lost a pound. Uh, maybe I'll lose another pound. You know, like it's just not that motivational, right? Like to people. Right. And, you know, you're at the intersection of, human behavior and technology, what are ways technology supports and enables doing this type of work? So, yeah, so no matter how good a physician is, let's say they're awesome, you know, you have 99% of the rest of your life at home, work and play, again, that you need to practice and do it. And so how we use technology, it's more behavioral technology. So it asks you a lot of questions about your goals and what you believe you can do. And then it gives you activities and things that reinforce what your physician wants you to do to achieve these things. And um, it's also able to, because it's collecting a lot more information, it's able to show you and your physician much deeper patterns and insights and things like that. So the technology is able to be there with you. So for example, one of our programs, like let's take patients just to have cancer, just to take a, an extreme case. So if they can't sleep at two in the morning, they could text the word sleep and we give them an immediate 
activity to do to help them sleep. And then we ask them in technology, is this something that only happens once in a while or a lot? Oh, a lot. Okay, well, what time do you go to sleep? This is exactly what we do in our programs. I typically go to sleep around 10. Okay, at nine o'clock, we're gonna send you little things to do to get you more relaxed. Oh, that's really nice of you. So the idea is technology is able to stop rumination and deal with your event in the moment where physician can't be available at Saturday two in the morning and all the time and those things. So it's, it's not just technology, it's how it interacts with you and how it gets individualized based on your needs in the moment. So for example, to take another example, just to give you extreme examples. So we have a program for uh, folks suffering from substance abuse. And um, in many states, if you agree to go to this court treatment program, um, you, you, you don't have to do other things. So, uh, but if you're nervous appearing before a judge or you're nervous appearing before your doctor, we know your appointment. So we text you, oh, how, how, how do you feel about your upcoming appointment right now on a scale of one to five? Okay, five is good. One is, oh, uh, one. Okay, then the technology interacts with you. Okay, here's what you need to do. Think, take it. Here's a something to take it a deep breath. Here's a little video. <sighs> Follow it, do it. You know, so it's really helping you in your life do these things. So that's how the technology could apply. And it works hand in glove with your clinical team because it's really reinforcing the things. If you had a nurse or doctor walking around with you, what they tell you to do, right? That's the idea. Nurse, doctor, and best friend. Um, and but, best friend. Yeah, because it's really so wonderful to have, you know, someone, it's essentially like a friend at your fingertips um, that can coach you at any moment. It is. And it's interesting what we found in the form of technology we use um, we go to you, we don't rely on you to go to it. So what do I, ex what I explain to folks on the clinical side is absurd to think the people who need it the most aren't sitting there saying with all these complex problems and comorbidities, okay, should I go to the emergency room? I'm really stressed. It's, oh, wait, let me wade through my app or portal. Like it's, there's zero chance that's happening. None. It doesn't make sense behaviorally, cognitively. So, um, like our technology is just messaging. So we have a schedule and cadence based on who you are, your answers. So we go to you, like if we're trying to motivate you in the morning or give you ideas for breakfast, we ask you what time you wake up, we do that. You know, if you're stressed at work, you can text one thing and we give you things at work. So that's the, you know, that's the whole idea. It's, it, it needs to, you need to believe that it's listening to you and it, you're able to adjust the care plan based on your life and it's adjusting with you, right? Like then you're much more motivated to follow it because it's following you. So it's your plan. It's not just the physician's plan. It's your plan because it's adjusting you. So that's how we kind of use the technology to, to be in harmony with your lifestyle, right? Because today someone could be good nothing to do with their healthcare. Maybe my son was in a car accident, nothing to do with me. And now I'm off rail. I'm right. But it's nothing to do. So now if I could indicate, I have 
tremendous stress today and it's something's helping me, that's important, right? And then when we do that, because we're reciprocal immediately, you're not waiting for an appointment. When we ask you a question, you are five to 10 is more likely to answer a question than when most healthcare professionals ask you something and answer. It's very interesting. It's all about reciprocal. Like you said, Sharon, a good friend. If you had to call a good friend every time and tell them your problems and they never called you and said, hey, you know, I was thinking, Sharon, you know, this issue you're having, I have an idea for you. Like you would say, oh, that's great. And so if a friend did that and then a friend says, hey, could you come over to help me? You are a lot more likely to say yes than if a friend never did that. You'd say, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I would love to help you, but I'm not going to do it. So the same with technology or human relationships. It works the same way. And actually, an interesting fact, there's a few common traits in people in any society reciprocity is one of them. If, if, so, if, if, a, if you believe somebody or something is helping you, you are much more likely to help it back, period. So that's sort of the strategy, you know, we deploy with the technology. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think all that is so fascinating about how, you know, what, what, how we interact and what, you know, what motivates us as humans. I love how, the response back from your program is so actionable, right? Because in the moment, sometimes if a person theoretically knows like, okay, I must eat, you know, whole grains, but in the moment they're like, I got to get out the door. What do I need to do? You're like, do this. Um, It's incorporating the science into the behavior and telling people like it's instead of just delivering the science. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Like we run for Humana, their uh, health and well-being program for all their employees across the world. And um, it was interesting. We took it over. There's stuff about exercise and nutrition and eating to your point about eating. So we increased activation by 10x and we just did simple things. So it's like when you sign up, we ask you, Sharon, when do you do weekly food shopping, monthly? So Sharon says weekly, okay. What day of the week you shop? Sunday. Okay, great. We're going to send you a recipe right on your phone Sunday morning so you'll have it so you can buy the ingredients as opposed to, oh, expecting Sharon to go to her app to look it up or expecting Sharon to remember the email we send every Thursday on the recipe. That doesn't work. It's not happening. So, and then people appreciate it. So they activate it. We did an interesting program with a um, Medicaid population folks, you know, in kind of underserved communities and the nutritionist was frustrated and really he was trying to spend time with them, but he has so many people and, and it's only so often. So we said, watch this. So we sent a message, what genre of food do you enjoy? And we couldn't do everything. We picked like five categories, like Mediterranean, Italian. Okay, great. Um, then we started to send people things on healthy eating in the genre that they told us they like. All of a sudden, he's getting thank you letters. And this is great. And you know, People believe that it's about me now. So I'm going to do it. Like, 
So that's how you use technology to help with that because it's, you know, and scale that. Yeah. But you're right. It has to be individualized. It has to be for that person. It can't be a general app portal program about my, my hypertensive condition. It just, it doesn't improve. In fact, it may even decrease self-efficacy because if someone doesn't believe they can do all this, they're like, okay, oh, really? Oh, that's too much. You know, like, oh, go to the website and learn about hyper. Oh, whoa, whoa. And then we all do that if we don't think we shrink into a corner. So we're less likely to activate. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in people's attempt even to use technology, it's not based on a certain behavioral and cognitive science of how to engage and individualize, right? It's so it's important, the form of this. Yeah, that is so brilliant. Like in some ways, you know, I love when little steps, each one in themselves are doable, right? They're simple enough that in the moment you can just do it. They're not like make you require a tremendous commitment of time, effort, energy, yet they do all make such a difference. And throughout the day, if you get these prompts, wow, what a difference if you do even two things differently. A hundred percent. Like you should hear some of the feedback from for people getting, oh, I bookmark them. I go back to them. Like, it's just such a great feeling. I wasn't going to go in to my appointment today, but now I am like, you know, it's like, you know, all those things. Right. Cause it's, it's sort of like a, to your point, a good concerned friend, a, you know, who's knowledgeable, who can help you and uh, make you feel good about yourself every day. And then I would just say one other interesting point relating to that, which I think is a big part of this podcast series from a lifestyle medicine perspective is people should understand that there's a deeper connection between the mind and the body. Right. And that, when you reflect on your outlook, when you reflect on whether you believe you can do something, sometimes it's important to attack your brain health first before. So let's say you're told you have an eating disorder or you can't digest or you have heartburn or whatever it may be. The first thing just to think about is, is that the symptom or the cause, right? Because more than not, just to tell you, it's interesting just to stick on gut health the neurotransmission and chemical interactions between the brain and the gut. It's fascinating. And many of these things, if you put yourself in a different mental state, you would lessen or eliminate some of what you believe are the physiological issues. So sometimes just watch out for, you know, the doctors you're seeing or what you're doing, they may be treating the symptom not the cause. So you can work on your own sort of, you know, kind of mental state and there's techniques to do it. I could do another podcast on that, but there's techniques to do that. So, but just be conscious of that, that, you know, think about, are you really, is that really the cause or the symptom of my issue? And um, understand that there's a deeper connection and you probably realize between how the mind functions consciously, subconsciously, and how the body reacts to it. And just to tell people, an extreme example, which I'm starting to do a little more research on, um, 
if you ingest medications or any nutrient, actually, it's been demonstrated that uh, if you're doing this under a constant level of stress, your body inhibits the distribution metabolism of the value of that in your body, right? So, so if you figured out a way to put yourself in a different state and take your med or eat the meal, it may be the same meal, but you may be getting a lot more nutrients. It's fascinating how this all works. So, so that's all I would just want to say, just be cognizant that there's a deeper relationship and focus on that brain health component in your everyday life. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more with starting with the mind um, as I see that in my practice as well. Bob, this is just brilliant. Um, you know, I, you know, with all your experience in understanding human behavior, I, I appreciate how much of it you've shared with us today and really helping us envision how technology can be used to implement what we need to do. You know, it's kind of, there's always a double-edged sword with technology, but I appreciate how you've really pointed out how it can be used in such a powerfully positive way. Um, so, so thank you. I, I appreciate everything you shared with us and, uh, and for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org slash livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.